hi and welcome to another episode of Are We There Yet? The podcast about ADHD and success and the link between both. My name's Ross, I'm the host for today and every other episode. Uh, and today the guest that we have is Cathy. Uh, Cathy, do you want to tell us what it is that you do? Yep, indeed. I'm a chief executive for a social enterprise which is based in Birmingham and what we actually deliver as a business is we help other people, social entrepreneurs, um, set up other social enterprises and then we help them grow as well. So we are called the Initiative for Social Entrepreneurs. A social enterprise for social enterprises. Yeah. So we help people set them up and we help people grow them once they've done it. Very much teach a man how to fish type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. So, no, am I right in understanding that you just recently got diagnosed? Yep. Yes. Yes. Last summer. Last summer. How's it been? Um, it's been a revelation in all honesty. It really, really has. It was out of the blue. Um, I had no inkling whatsoever um, that ADHD was what had caused many challenges over my life. And um, yeah, it's it's a proper missing piece thing. It makes sense of so much stuff for me. It's amazing. So you didn't even go looking for it. It was you went to doctors and they're like, ah, no, it's this. No, no, not even that. Um, I'd, I mean, gosh, I'm 54. So over the years, I've had loads of counselling. Um, yeah, I own every book on procrastination. I you know, tried so many productivity systems. Never like to admit to anybody that I struggle with any of that. And I happened to be supporting a friend who was recently diagnosed with ADHD. So I was liking her posts on Facebook and I accidentally clicked on a video and I watched the video and I thought, flipping heck that's me. So I did an online test, thought, you know, scored off the charts. <laughs> I thought, crikey, I really ought to, to find out about this. So I went down an ADHD rabbit hole. I read 10 books in a weekend. Um, yeah, self-diagnosed myself and then thought I'm not waiting three years for the NHS. So I paid and got a private assessment and was diagnosed at that point. Bim, bim, bam, bim. That's it. Yeah. So it's uh, the what you said about like not wanting people to know about the procrastination thing. I I work in a bank and I've gone through some interviews recently and I've also been on the other side of interviews recently. Um, one of the questions that you ask quite often is like, tell us about a time that can that when you had equal priorities and how did you manage it and all that sort of stuff. And I hate this question. Oh, and my, yeah. my manager asked me, she said, "Why do you hate so much?" And I was like, "Do you want to know what my priority?" like system is so what it's like i don't do it until i have to and then i do it in a much shorter time frame than i should and it still works and she's like right and i went that that doesn't that doesn't quite fly when you're in an interview so which priority technique oh i don't do it and then i panic and then i do it yep she's like yeah don't don't, don't say that <laughs> i was like yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so when you were younger then, yep. what was sort of the the defined like success that your parents kind of went, this is what we believe success is and this is what you need to be successful? Yep. Um, that's definitely around, um, I suppose, academia in a way for me. So my parents were both teachers. Um, my dad, in the end, was a headmaster. 
and um, there was never any question. I, I'm the eldest of a number of children, and um, there was never any question that I was going to university. So I never questioned it. They never questioned it. That was the entire assumption. And um, I did, in fact, get into uni. Um, although, when I, you know, hindsight's a really helpful thing. Um, I was I was underperforming from O levels onwards, so I didn't get the grades I was expected to get at O level or at A level. Squeaked into uni. Um, and it was just an absolute disaster. And I, I was doing law. If you can imagine a worse degree for somebody with undiagnosed ADHD. Oh, my Lord. Um, and I, I left in the end in my second year um, in a sort of blaze of whatever the opposite of glory is um, to the disgust of everybody. Um, and so, yeah, no, no degree, no formal sort of postgraduate qualification in that sense. Um, and yeah, that was definitely a, a big thing. And they'd, they'd really wanted me to be a teacher as well. And mm. um, so hence the law, because I was rebelling against being a teacher, but just in the worst possible way. And, I was going to um, say, that seems like overcorrecting. Like, it's yeah. like, oh, you want me to be academic, but, you know, I don't want to be a teacher. So what's harder than being a teacher? Yeah. Well, what's like all about memory? It's all about memory. Oh. God, honestly, it's just scary. Um, so yes, you know that that focus was sort of always there, and and that's the sort of first point in my life where I really, you know, all my feelings of failure early on are all related to that underperformance at an academic mm -hmm. level. And I, I keep trying, I have to say. Um, so I tried um, doing a master's degree um, about fifteen years ago uh, on the basis of my work experience, and I was accepted to do that. And I just simply couldn't get myself through the dissertation. So I do actually have a postgraduate diploma. Um, and it took me three years to admit that I was never going to manage this dissertation. So I abandoned that one as well. And I am currently three years into a, an open university degree, um, obviously, which actually is now going slightly better because I understand what my problems are. So it with I've seen this quite a lot where it's people who have gone to university once, twice, three times, mm. and it's not necessarily that the passion isn't there for the course. Yeah. It's just like I I have a interesting relationship when it comes to like academia, because I am not academic at all. And my entire mm. family isn't academic. It was very much I was going to get a trade. Yeah. And because I work in a bank, I've said this before. Uh, I'm pretty this is the problem with having a podcast and having ADHD I don't know what I've said before <laughs> so I tend to repeat things again but it's the thing where it, there's a, an old episode of Will and Grace where mm -hmm. he goes to a party and someone's like oh what is it you're doing and Will's obviously a lawyer in it but no one likes lawyers He's like, oh I play tennis and then it's like oh my friend plays tennis as well and then brings a friend over and then like they leave and he just runs around and goes so what partners are you with? And then they're both lawyers. And it's like, yeah, that's my family for me working in a bank. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, Ross, Ross plays tennis. Uh, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't work in a bank. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't mention it yet. We don't talk about that. Uh, but, but my dad said to me when I was in high school, uh, if you want to go to university, you better start saving because I'm not paying for it. I mean, yeah, we're in Scotland, you don't have to pay for it, but obviously there's like other costs associated with it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to university, but that's got nothing to do with it. My teacher says I have to write a personal statement and I'm not doing that. 
Yeah. And that was like, I was just like, nah, nah, I don't want to write. And it was, she went and she was like, so what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, this revolutionary thing, I might just get a job. Like, I, I might just do that instead. Uh, I got into college after high school to do graphic design. Mm. I did that for four months. And then my work at the time, I worked in Curry's, said that they'd give me full-time work if I could. So I left college yeah. and then they didn't. And I was like, oh, well, I'll just get another job. I've had, I had 13 jobs before I was 19. Oh, my gosh. And someone asked me how I kept on getting jobs. And they're yeah. like, surely we just see you as constantly, like, it doesn't look good. And I was like, no, I always went on something better. Yeah. I can explain every single one of them as to why I went on something better. It's like, oh, this one was only nice. So I got a day job. Oh, yeah. this one was part-time. So I got a full-time job. Oh, this one was closer. This, but, like, there was always a reason for it. Yes. Um, and it's all about being able to explain it. But when it comes to university, going back to the point, it's the thing where you have the ability to focus on one subject mm. for four years or three years is just foreign to me. Yes. Like, I can't get my head around it. And people are like, oh, yeah, I've been studying the, like, the same thing over mm. and over. And oh, I'm like, nope. And it, on, on the other side, like if you're doing law and there's obviously multiple different types of law, mm. by the time I graduated, I would have been like, so we did like property law in first year. Does anybody know anything about property law? <laughs> I can't remember. Well, the, honestly, the OU is incredibly well set up now, again, that I've realised what I need in order to get through something like this. So the online stuff works incredibly well because it's divided into manageable sections and um, they're pretty well up on what I would probably help me um, once I'd got the diagnosis and I talked to them. So my tutor particularly was really helpful. Um, but also because I'm doing um, environmental studies, I mean, we're talking seven years, Ross, we're not talking three because obviously it's, it's all in my own time. Um, but the, all of the modules are really different. So I'm doing um, sociology and criminology at the moment, and that's just fascinating. I love it. But we've been doing politics and economics, and we've done a um, whole bunch of stuff, obviously, about sort of geographically based environment stuff. And so there's enough variety there for it to still remain interesting. And actually, it's the nitty gritty of um, producing the assignments is still the bit that I struggle with. It's the sitting down, opening up a document and writing a one and a half thousand word essay. And that's still a sticking point. So I'm still doing that at the last minute and not putting as much time in as I should. So there you go. I didn't realise there was another way. Um, <laughs> so no, that's just it. <laughs> what, what's the motivation for going back to university then? What is it the you want the piece of paper, or is it it will help you do other things that you're wanting to do? Or um, it's it's an absolute bloody minded. I will not let let this defeat me. Right. Yep. No. It, that most of the things I've achieved in my life are because people were like, "Yeah, that's not going to happen." I was like, no, it's purely because you've said that. Yeah. I'm definitely much more motivated by a stick than a carrot. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, so, like, if someone, you know, embarrassment's an always a good motivator. You say embarrassment, I say spite. I'm like, nope. You said I can't. So, guess what's happening? Uh, 
it's just it's if someone is encouraging to me i'm like oh no you just like loaded the gun that's it tell me i'm worthless and and then i'll work (laughs) so do you still base do you still have that sort of outlook on success and do you still sort of base it on like the academia side of it or is this more just this is a sticking point for you like i'm getting it yeah yeah that it's 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 deeply personal now um and and it and it's it's certainly not how I view either the world or anybody else. So it, I, in fact, in a way, I'm quite proud of being able to say I've done this without a degree um, because I like the fact that that's a bit unusual. Um, and so when I do finally finish it, I'll probably never admit it to anybody. <laughs> Just to be it takes sure. a win. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, I did like... Um work apprenticeship I've been about 13 years now and I did a work apprenticeship about five years ago and it was like what you said because of the work I'd done it was basically just say it was equal to a qualification and I did it purely because it was time like away from my actual job and it was something different and things like that and it was boring ads and I was like it, I'm never going to use this like I don't really I'm, like I'm only using this for a break and you're making me you're trying to get me to work and the guy would say things like, so did you do the work that I asked you to do? And I was like, was that work my job? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, I did, I did my job in the four weeks since I last saw you. Yes, I've done my job. <laughs> and, he like, and did you take notes? No, no. And I was like, he was like, right, I have questions and you need notes to answer the questions. Like, ask me the questions and I'll guarantee I won't need notes. And he was like, Right. And it was all like, because it was all situational stuff. I can spin a story. I can tell a story. But like, yeah. that's fine. I could explain it that way. I couldn't write it down for you. Yeah. But I can tell you what it is that I want. Um, so what is your like perspective now of what success is? Like, what, If you were to see someone in the street or you yourself, what would you say is that is a successful person? Or is that is what I would aspire to be? Or, yeah. Et cetera. Um, I, this is changed for me I think with age actually um sort of less so than necessarily being related to to the ADHD side of stuff so I have been quite status driven so I like the fact that I'm a chief executive um that feels successful um and and I still would apply that to other people so but I would qualify that by being a good chief executive so it's not just the role it's your ability within it um but in all honesty these days if somebody tells me that they enjoy the life they lead and they're happy doing it then I'm all good then then they're as successful as they need to be and that's fine it really is and yeah I definitely think that's changed with age see there is I used to work with a guy who like he had the the most well assigned name of anyone I'd ever met his name was Joy (laughs) and I worked in KFC at the time and Joy worked in KFC and he worked a late shift Uh, and he was this lovely lovely little uh, man and I I found out I was working with him for a few weeks and I found out that that was his second job Mm. I was like oh what's your other job thinking it was something of the same sort of like status like kind of thing and he was like oh I'm a lecturer and I was like, what? 
So he was a lecturer in the university during the day, and then at nights he worked in KFC. Wow. And I was like, like why? Like why? And then in my head, I instantly go into it. Is this like a social experiment? Yeah. Like you're doing it for like a study or something? And he was like, no, my son's in university, and I don't want him to like have to work so that he can study. So basically, he was doing like a part-time job that his son would do. Yeah. And giving his son the money so the son could concentrate on his studies. Wow. And he was the happiest man ever. And like, I know so many people who never ever put themselves down. Like I know people who did like, they'll have like a high stakes job, lose their job and then be unemployed for years because they weren't, they're not able to get a job at that level again. I have a story for you about that. So um, I just finished a role at the beginning of the pandemic um, as an operations director. And I came out into just before it all started at the beginning of 2020, um, dreadful job market because of Brexit and because of general election and everything else. So I was unemployed in the end for nine months um, because I'd been doing some freelance work and that all vanished obviously in March with lockdown and everything else. Um, because of my work experience in history, I was applying to supermarkets and they were just laughing at, you know, even at my dumbed down CV, they were like, well, we're not taking her on. I'm like, oh, well, okay, but mortgage to pay. And I finally got an agency job working minimum wage shifts in a warehouse. And I did it for nine bloody months because there's nothing wrong with that. It was paying me to keep a roof over my head. And I tell you what, it was the best bloody management lessons I've had in years because we were treated like shit we really really were and it just made I will be an infinitely better manager for having gone through that experience and I'm not ashamed of it in any way at all and people should just if they need to do it they should just knuckle down and do it you know there's no there's no shame in it pride pays nothing right yeah <laughs> the that that's the thing like someone said to me uh, and, and because I, I pick it like I notice everything um, like today for example no yesterday I was in I got a KFC and I know KFC are hiring I haven't looked for a job outside of like the bank in like 10 years and yet I still notice when places are hiring and I'm like hmm. oh absolutely I can't turn that off now I mean after 18 months of looking for a job it's just ingrained uh, <laughs> I'm looking like, at everything if I, if I get made redundant KFC are hiring, cool, right? So that's that's good to know. Yeah, like I enjoyed working in KFC. But I enjoyed working KFC because I was nineteen and I didn't buy dinner for like three months. Like, yes. <laughs> people hated coming to my flat because we used to get like buck buckets of chicken. Yeah, and I lived in a flat with four other guys, so you can imagine how clean we were. I can. And literally, there was just empty buckets of. Oh yeah. God, any vegetarians or vegans, oh. I apologize. But there was literally just buckets of bones, just yeah. like a graveyard in my in my house. Um, and I had a friend, the friend who got me the job in KFC. Uh, he was there for like a couple of years. He worked there. Yeah. And we, like, if you're watching TV and an advert for KFC came on, you had to switch over because he'd launched something at the TV. <laughs> He's like, get up! And like, even after working there, he's like, how can you eat KFC? And I'm like, because nothing tastes as good as fried chicken. Yeah. It's so good. 
good. And he's like, he hates it with a passion. I was like, but it, I'll it's, tell you what, though, in, in, in an odd sort of way, I did actually enjoy the warehouse. And um, even though obviously I would spend the whole time trying to get out of there. And, and I realised afterwards, so again, this was all still while undiagnosed, um, pretty much, yeah, yeah, completely. And, um, and it was because it was far more structured than anything had been for, you know, God knows how long in my professional life, because obviously it was set shifts. Um, they did change, but they were a week on, a week, so you had a morning shift for a week, and then an afternoon shift for a week. And, and obviously it was sort of deeply unstressful in the sense of the actual work. Um, and it was really physical because you were on your feet the whole time and you were stretching and you were picking things up and, you know, all the rest of it. And my, my physical health was definitely better than it had been in mm. years. And, and it only began to really take a toll on my mental health after about six months. And it's because it was so boring. Um, and you just, you know, it just in the end found that incredibly difficult to cope with. But it was surprisingly good for me in that way. And I'm sure it's because of that structure. Well, my, my wife, uh, when she was in university, uh, worked in Poundland. Mm. and her degree is in primary teaching and her nqt year it was hell like actual hell yeah. and totally put her off teaching for life uh, but she still wanted to work for kids and stuff but the whole way through nqt year she's like i want to just go back to poundland and just go back to stacking shelves like there's no responsibility as you go and do your shift and leave that's it yeah. and she then went into childcare and then after like during the pandemic and things like childcare was kind of a wee bit like up in the air and stuff and her work went from oh you can work a morning shift to you now have to work split shifts and it's like yeah that's not happening so she uh, then left and got a job in amazon uh, and she works two night shifts a week yep. and it's not i'm i'm not ever going to go as far as saying like she enjoys it yeah. Well, her anxiety and everything is much, much lower because she goes in, she does her job, and she comes yep. home, and that's it. Yep. And she's like, <laughs> and I've said for you, and she's asked me, she's like, "Are you not embarrassed?" I was like, "Hell no!" I was like, "I'd be embarrassed if you were still in childcare, stressing yourself out because you thought that that's what you had to do." And it's like it's mm-hmm. much better that you're doing something that like is better for your mental and physical health. Yeah. Um. And she, and she said to me, she's like, I don't think you can do my job. And I was like, I know I can do your job. Not a chance. Nope. <laughs> that. Because I couldn't. Like, it's too repetitive. And yeah. Amazon went, I'm not going to say overboard with the COVID like, precautions. Yeah. But they, I believe they put like, uh, like Pyrex glass like between like all the booths. Yeah. So you can't speak to anybody on the mm. belly yeah, yeah. like nothing it's just for yeah. 10 hours you're in a box oh that like, would be hard. oh that sounds like hell and yeah. but there are there are interesting like some of the stories that she comes because she works in returns yeah so anything gets returned to amazon and Dunfermline, she like can work it yeah, yeah and there was a story a few months ago where someone came out and went what was it um uh <laughs> If anyone returns an urn, can we please make sure that Granny isn't still in it? <laughs> and apparently, someone had returned their grand. Oh 
my god I was like, that is amazing and like you'll get people who like return a box with a stone in it yeah. and saying like it's an ipod or it's like a ipod god do you even get ipods anymore like it's like an like airpods <laughs> or something because yeah, like, yeah. they think no one looks in the box it's just wait done yeah <laughs> it's like it's just it's it's mad whereas like where i am now working from home it's a totally different like i do miss the office a little bit just because i like i've seen people but my setup in the house is awesome but it took me months to be able to get used to not being able to see people yeah i i really struggle with it so i've always been pretty extrovert anyway and um i, I spent 20 years working for bt British telecom doing various sort of things within that and they sent me home working at one point I became an auditor which was just such a bad job for me oh my god um it's, it's like law all over again and um but all the auditors homeworked and and I became the first person in BT to officially revoke my homeworking because I couldn't cope with it um and it was just like please let me back in the office I need a desk <laughs> it's brittle like especially when you're like I'm, I'm really extroverted um but so before I was diagnosed, um, I'd worked in like different branches, different departments, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And it was very much, uh, I had a nickname and I didn't realize that the nickname was a symptom. Mm. I thought it was just people passing it on to like the next department. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's kind of like that. If you quack like a duck and walk like a duck, you're a duck. Yeah. My nickname was The Wanderer, <laughs> and I couldn't understand why. And I'm like, you have a telephony job. You sit on the phone, and that's your job. Why are you never on your phone? You're always walking about somewhere. <laughs> like, because I can't just, like, it sucks. I can't yeah. just sit there all day. Um, and then when I was filling out, like, this the assessment, and one of them is, do you ever have trouble staying in your seat when you yeah. should and I and I marked and I was like, no, I was staying. I said, what are you talking about? And then I showed one of my mates. He's like, lucky that wasn't in your last job. Eh? I was like, what? So <laughs> you're lucky in this job, you have to walk about to speak to people, but you know you're called the wanderer, right? And I was like, that didn't cross my mind. Yep, I did not realize that at all. Because <laughs> uh, like in my head, it just ADHD was I talk too much and I move about too much. That's it. That's all it was. Um, but just open my mind after I was diagnosed. But like, you said that you've got you're one of many children. Yes. Are, are your siblings all like academic? No. Um, one of my closest brother is um, he is he's a he's a head teacher now, in fact, um, and was sort of a bit of a late bloomer, really. So as I was starting to underperform he was just sort of coming out of my shadow as the bright one and started to do pretty well um then and my other brother pete um he's pretty academic um so he ended up he did went straight into a master's after his degree um and he does a fairly intellectual job now although not teaching um i've got a, a brother with dyslexia interestingly and um i've got a profoundly autistic brother as well so the whole neurodiversity is obviously sort of well established i suspect on both sides of the family and with what is your parents is there did their sort of perspective of what 
is deemed a success did that ever change or um i yeah i mean yes i i think they got i think it was it's still pretty important for my mum but it's it's not specific so she doesn't say kathy's a failure because she never got a degree in it you know that's it's not how it is at all um my dad uh, so they they divorced when i was quite young anyway but stayed really friendly um and my dad uh, so my profoundly autistic brother is a half brother from my dad's second marriage and um i remember having a conversation with him when we realized how deeply disabled simon was um around how it it actually reset all of the things that he'd ever thought about wanting for his children um be, because simon was never going to be in a place where that would be applicable mm. um you know and you you and it's not it's not really around expectation it's it's just everything becomes far more simple because really you just want him to be safe and okay uh, you know he's non he's nonverbal um he's not capable of independent living um and the, and you know beyond any sort of i'd like them to have their own houses i want them to have you know nice partners it would be lovely to have some grandchildren eventually you know that all just goes away because you have to admit to yourself as a parent that none of that is ever going to be applicable um and that was a really interesting conversation to have um just to know that i've just reset everything for him in terms of how he thought about success for his children so not just for simon but for all of you like it kind of like yeah. spread like a ripple effect almost like simon was the yeah. walking because it made him question um and then it was actually rather than just this sort of broad brush yeah what what is it that actually Kathy will 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 what will that look like for her what will it look like for Yestin what will it look like for Peter um so that it all became more individual so you're one girl out of is it five I've got two stepsisters. Um so I've got a real brother, a full brother, um and then I've got two stepsisters and then I've got three half brothers from both sides of the family. And we, and we were brought up together. Yeah. That's really good. Four days. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. See, I've got all my sisters are half sisters, but I grew up with one because I lived with my mum. Yeah. Uh, and like I call my stepdad dad, um, and I, I, I didn't speak to my my bio dad for like twelve years. Uh, so, but I have two sisters from my dad's side, but the age difference between us, my big sister is nine years older than me. Mm-hmm. My next sister is nine years younger than me. Mm-hmm. My next sister is eleven years younger than me. Yeah. and it's like. So we never had that where like, you were kind of brought up together. Uh, yeah. look, even the one I lived with, I left home when I was 16. She was like eight. Yeah. Uh, like, because cause the way, like, when our birthdays are and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, she was eight when I left. Mm. In my head, she's still eight. She's like 23 now. And I'm like, no, you're eight. Yeah. Yep. I, I do feel a little bit like that sometimes with the three youngest, because I remember them being born. And you know, did a lot of babysitting before it. So there's 16 years between me and Simon, who's the youngest. Um, and Pete and Dave were five when I left home. But um, because we're because we've got obviously the gaps aren't as big um, mm-hmm. because there's so many of us within that 16 years. 
you know, we managed to, well, you know, we're, we're a close family, right? We've stayed close. And, and that's through um, the sad and untimely death of my original stepmother, who died when she was 50 from breast cancer. And then my dad married again. So I've got a second stepmother who's just absolutely fantastic. And then I've got a stepdad, obviously, on my mum's side. And um, bless him, my dad died in lockdown one. Um, and so, you know, it all sort of resets itself again. But, uh, mm. but yeah, we're, we're a pretty good family, to be honest. They're, they're good fun, all of them. That's good, though. Like, even being undiagnosed, it's good to like, still have that sort of like support system. And yeah. like, they'll be close with family. Like, it's not that I'm not close with my family it's my family is very big and a big ball of messy emotions <laughs> uh, the kindest way I can put it uh, and I've always been very much um uh, like I'll find my own family type thing yeah. so like I'm very very close to friends yeah uh, and then I'll have like cousins that I haven't seen and like 15 years yeah um and you see them at weddings and funerals and because of how my mindset is I actually saw one of my cousins I hadn't seen literally outside of a wedding and funeral in 15 years and he lives in London and he does really well for himself and he was mad at me because I got an Airbnb mm-hmm. he said like, why didn't you phone me and I was like dude I haven't spoke to you in like 15 years and he was like <laughs> what's I gotta do with it phone me I have a place in like Baker Street in yeah. London. Who's it? I'm literally like central London. You could have just stayed here. And I'm like, I hadn't spoke to you in 15 years. And he's like, what would you do if I was up near you and like needed a place to stay? And I was like, I'd expect you to stay with me. He's like, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, right, okay, yep. Yeah. I, I just think that it's made things like that, but apparently it's not. But yeah, it's fun. Well, I did um, read a really interesting ADHD thing the other day that really rang a bell kind of around that, which is, a lot of us don't have um, what they call a friendship degradation mechanism. So I've, I've got friends that absolutely we can we cannot speak to each other for years and we'll meet up and it will be like our last conversation was yesterday. Neither of us are offended because the other one hasn't been in touch. We're as good friends as we ever, ever were. And then, of course, I've got friends where they don't get that and they don't understand that approach and they're pissed off with you because you haven't bothered to talk to them. And but it's it's quite an ADHD thing to to not realise that you've got to maintain some relationships in that way, and that it doesn't all just suddenly ping into life. Yeah, um, I, a hint for anyone listening: uh, people get super offended where you go. I'm sorry, I haven't contacted you, but I kind of forgot you exist. Yeah, forgot you isn't a word. I kind of forgot you exist. I'm very tired. Okay, I'm just I'm not medicated and. My wife kept on telling me I looked like a creep today because I was playing hide and seek with the kids at the park. And I decided to hide under one of the climbing frames. And she's like, you realise as a 32-year-old man hiding under a climbing frame in a kid's play park, you just looked like a creep. And I was like, but I was playing hide and seek, like it's fine. But now I'm very tired because I'm a 32-year-old man and I'm not built anymore to play hide and seek in a park. But um, kids had fun. I had fun. That's all that matters. Uh, But so... With your success now, then, mm-hmm. would you say that your ADHD helped or hindered it? It's probably a bit of both. Um, in fact, I think it's entirely a bit of both. So I, 
strengths wise the now that I understand sort of what's going on the fact that I'm a very empathetic leader and the fact that I'm creative and I'm spontaneous and all of that sort of good stuff is really helpful at that chief exec level and at sort of the process of applying to get there um and you know I, I am confident and outgoing in things that I know that I'm good at and things like public speaking and whatever else. Um, and all of that is sort of being driven by that ADHD energy. You know, I make connections and I do that big blue sky thinking thing and, and all of that. Um, and so that's absolutely helpful and, and a strength for the type of job that I do. Um, but on the other hand, of course, I really don't do detail and I, and I, I understand it, but I don't like it. So I will do careless you know, there will be careless errors and I won't necessarily check things. And um, I, you know, yeah, forms, anything involving filling in expenses, <laughs> you know, timesheets, all of that, it will procrastinate to the point of just simply never doing it. Um, and obviously that's not helpful um, when you're in a position where potentially you've got to be signing off accounts or you've got to be doing people's payroll. Um, you know, anything like that. And so understanding now what those pinch points are now that I've been diagnosed is really helpful because it means that I've actually got a chance to manage them consciously rather than just sort of feeling, frankly, terrified that my inadequacies are going to catch up with me at some point. And so the, the sort of I'm, I'm very keen about being open about it because I don't think many people at my level are, and I think we need to be. Um, and so I will I will actively post on things like LinkedIn in a professional criteria. This is what my bad ADHD ADHD day looked like today. You know, I was, I was late for a meeting despite the fact that two reminders had popped up and I'd checked my calendar because I just got distracted at the wrong minute and yeah, whatever. And I had to turn my camera off in a two-hour training Zoom call because I simply couldn't. I couldn't concentrate and I, and I was having to get up and walk around and listen and all the rest of it and yeah a whole bunch of other stuff um and yeah I, it's important to me that people understand what that actually looks like in the workplace mm -hmm. um and yeah I, and and it's less terrifying now that I'm being open about it and not trying to hide it all someone once gave me a piece of advice and I'm sure they meant it with all the best of intentions and it was still delivered very, very badly. Uh, but I took out something mm. like I, I pulled out the golden nugget from it, which was basically you went, how many people have you told that you've got ADHD? And I, I, and I replied with how many people have I spoke to since I got diagnosed with ADHD? And he went, oh, I wouldn't be telling people. And I was like, why? He's like, because they'll judge you. And I was like, they're judging me anyway. At least this way, they know why. Uh, and he was like, fair enough. He's like, but the way he's, the way I see it is there's three ways you can approach it. You can tell no one mm -hmm. and do nothing. You can tell everyone and advocate for it. Yep. Or you can tell everyone and do nothing. Yep. At the time, I was telling everyone and doing nothing. Yeah. So then I went, oh, I'm just going, yeah, that's the point. I'm going to tell everyone and advocate for it. And I'm very lucky in fact that I have a new manager and she's, hey, I'm, people may get offended by this, but in my head, there's two types of dyslexic people. 
there are the neurodiverse dyslexic people and then mm -hmm. there's dyslexic people mm -hmm. and the ones who are dyslexic haven't looked into neurodiversity because they were diagnosed as dyslexic as a kid and all they know is they need these are the things that they need and they haven't looked at the wider spectrum and then you've got the ones who are like oh what else is it yeah. and my manager's one of the oh what else is it kind of people and so she's very much like uh no i know you, what you need and what you don't mm. and she was going when she went what works best for you mm. how do you work best and i was like i work really well if you listen to me mm -hmm. if you don't we're gonna have issues <laughs> and she's like okay and she went in what way and i was like for example i can like get i'm like a dog with a bone at times and i need someone just tell me shut up yep. and she was like right well how about this if we're in a call and you're waffling i'm going to just send you a gif of a waffle dancing <laughs> so that you shut up and i was like I'm happy with that. That works. Yeah. She, hasn't, she hasn't done it yet. Uh, but one of my old managers, his was JFDI, which is just fucking do it. Because yeah. the other side of it I have is that if I'm stuck on a point, mm. there's two ways to shut me up. Pull rank or explain yourself better. I'm never yeah. going to be mad at a manager for just going because I said so. Yeah. And that's it. And he never, ever liked, he hated confrontation, so he never, ever wanted to do it. And he did it once. Mm. And it was hilarious for everyone around me because just when JFDI Ross, no matter, cool, and just shut up. And then like my like peers was like, I'm sorry, he has an off switch. What the what was this? Why don't we know this? I'm trying to get him shut up for months. And I was like, he has the off switch, you don't. Yeah. Um, and she was like, Cool, right? So that's the rules. Done. And I was like, Oh, and the other one is, and I think everyone should tell their manager this because I think a lot of people have this issue. Where the um I think it's known more as like ADHD paralysis. Mm -hmm. If someone, if I message someone, go, are you free? And go, oh, yeah, in five minutes. I'll call you yeah. in five. Yeah, don't say that because okay. I'm now going to not do anything until you come back to me. Yep. And you'll forget, I yep. won't, and I don't want to bother you. So I'm not going to keep on asking you every five minutes. Just say yes or no. If you find yourself yep. free in five minutes, then call me. Happy surprise. Yep. If I remember why I need to speak to you. But <laughs> she just went, sorry. And there has been occasions where she's phoned me after five minutes, like, so what is it? And I was like, I have no idea. How are you? Yeah. And she's like, go. Yeah. But like, there's days where like, I, I can't make myself work. Like, it, there's times where my job's just boring and I'm like, I just can't come, like, get myself to do it. Uh, and like I was saying to her, like, I've done nothing today. Like, I feel like crap. Like, I don't know why. I just can't do it. And she went, it's fine. And I was like, is it? Is it fine? Mm. And she's like, I know you'll do more tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Mm. Yeah, I'll do that. And it's, the like, the most understanding manager I've ever had. And it makes such a difference. It does. It absolutely really does. I mean, I had to, the, this whole epiphany and whatever out of the blue um, was a month into this new job. Um, so obviously with a whole, with a board, um, with a whole bunch of people I don't know, with a team that don't know me from Adam. Um, and all of a sudden I've got to waltz in and say, well, when you interviewed me and gave me the job, it was one thing. And now a month later, I need to tell you this. Mm -hmm. and, and do you know what? They were absolutely fantastic from the chairman of the board down. They were just brilliant. They were absolutely it, superb. I, I, 
I need an assistant. My job does not require me to have an assistant, but I need to get to a level where I can get an assistant because I feel like, especially in the corporate world, the ha- it's kind of like, you know, the symmetry of life where you start off in nappies and with people feeding you and you die in nappies with people feeding you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The way it kind of works at work is when you start in a company, you're giving your work. This is where you have to be. This is when you have to be there. This is what you have to do. Then you get into like the middle ground where you have to do things yourself, organize yourself and get there yourself. Yeah. And then you get into like higher management where you have an assistant who organizes your calendar and goes, this is where you have to be. This is when you have to be there. I, I need to get to that level just so I can be like, oh, good. Someone will just tell me when I have to do things and then that's fine. I, I, can well, see, that. I would love that um, um, because we're, you know, we're not a big company. Mm-hmm. So um, PA for the boss is not something that we can afford. Uh, but what I have done, if it ever materialises, is I've applied for access to work. I don't see why I shouldn't. And and obviously that type of assistance is the type of assistance that can potentially be provided. And I, I would find that incredibly useful. I, you know, absolutely. Just, you know, somebody manage my bloody diary. Please, please tell me. Oh. When you said you were late to a meeting and like that, yeah. like, like you know it's there and it's one thing I pray myself on. I am never, ever late for me. And I'm always at me on time to a point where I'm watching the clock, I'm, waiting for it to hit, and then yeah, I'll end. I'm pathologically early and on time for things normally. And that's why it's so frustrating when it happens. My, my problem is that I'll forget what the meeting's about. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll go into the meeting and be like, right, Ross, so do you want to uh, do that presentation? And I'll be like, what, what? Remind me, what presentation is that? Well, you set up this meeting... And you put a presentation as an attachment. So would you like to go through it? Sure, I can do that. And my boss was like, you need to start putting like 10 minutes in before meeting so that you can prep. And I've promised her I will do that. I will. My wife hates those two words, will do. Yes. Like if she goes, oh, can you take the rubbish out? Yeah, I will do. She's like, not asking you if you will. I'm asking you to do it now. When I started on medication, um, and it I, it started making a difference eventually, um, I had a chat with my partner about how we could objectively tell whether or not it was making a difference, as opposed to me just feeling better. Um, and the first thing he said was, "You're not." leaving things half done because you've put them down and forgotten to do them so you're actually finishing tasks so yeah. absolutely so if he says it's your turn to take the, the bins out i will actually do it <laughs> we sort of drift off into something else halfway through and um i will wash the teaspoons up after i've made a cup of tea and you know but that, that and that's really helpful because that is an objective view of something that has improved as a result of medication it's there's a thing where I don't mind people asking me if I've taken my meds that day, mm-hmm. depending on why they're asking. Yeah. If they're asking because I'm bouncing off the walls, then go jump off a bridge. If you're asking me because like I'm sitting in a little pay hole feeling sorry for myself, then yeah. that's a whole different like bag because yeah. uh, it's coming from a place of like concern for me rather than annoyance for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's are you see for me like medication like hit straight away. 
and the first thing I took it was like being in a Disney movie, yeah. like floating to work at the smell of a pie. Like that's that's kind of like how it felt. Um, and now, like I went through a stage where because I'm on stimulants, mm-hmm. I used to drink like eight nine cups of coffee a day before I started yeah. meds, and now I don't. I I maybe have one in the afternoon, but that's it. Um, my, my diet coke habit stopped overnight because I just yeah. didn't need it, and now I have one as a treat every now and then. Mine's I I've realised I'm starting to it's the sugar for like iron brew and stuff that I'm like yeah. really really fan like diluting juice isn't quite hitting the spot. I need I need something with a bit of fizz to it. Um, but yeah, the I went through I, I had this really really great stage where everything like all my ducks were in a row. Yep. Ducks are really like the theme of this episode, by the way. I've just realized. Um all my ducks were in a row. And then what started happening was because I was getting so into like stuff on the website and things, my body clock started to change. I used I was religious. I used to be religious. Half past ten at night, I was asleep. Seven o'clock in the morning, I was up. Like it was religious. And then it went to one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, up at six. Yeah. And then taking your meds, which acted like coffee. And then there was no benefit from it, except it was keeping me functioning. Yeah. And it's the, it's in trying to pull it back and like, oh, okay, I need to remember I'm an adult and I actually have to eat and not take my medication to actually just make me function. That's what, yeah. you know, food is for. But yeah, it's uh it, it's a trip that's that's for damn sure it is, it is. I mean, mine took a while because they started me really low because of blood pressure mm. um and so i had to go through 20 30 40 before i really felt any marked difference at all and it wasn't really until i got to 50 that i started seeing something at least um and i'm where am i now i'm on 60 with some dexamphetamine as well um and that's it's working for the moment, although actually I can already, I've been about three months on that combo um, and I can tell it's starting to fade slightly. So I obviously need to go and work out what the next step is with that, which is probably just tweak one of them. But uh, yes. yeah, it took a while to, to kick in for me. I'm, I'm 72. Mm. Uh, and I spoke to my doctor a couple months back and I was like, I feel like it's just not lasting like long at all. And I was like, does nicotine impact at all? And she was like, yeah, because nicotine like, speeds up your metabolism, yeah, so, so you your body works through the meds quicker. So I was going through 72 milligrams of uh, methylphenidate that was meant to last me until like 5 p.m. And yeah. by like lunch, I'm like, ah, I'm not doing anything now. Um, and it was because I'm working from home, so I can vape at home. So it doesn't leave my mouth all morning. Yeah. So I've now changed it. So in the morning... I, I, the vape still won't leave, but I have zero nicotine yep. oil in the morning and in, in the afternoon. I'll treat myself with some nicotine, yay. But uh, it's it's just trying to, like, you get to a point where you're like, it's magic cure. And then you forget, no, it's not. I have to do all this other stuff with it. Yeah. But, and then as a woman, you've got hormonal differences as well, um, even at my age. So I, I'm a classic diagnosed at menopause basically because the drop in estrogen sets all your all your symptoms just mm-hmm. um, and that's so that's what sort of eventually 
triggered the understanding for me. But um, of course, within a month, I can still fluctuate and it will have an impact. See, I, I have two daughters that are five and three and my wife doesn't like labels. And mm -hmm. uh, she, I, I don't know if you know, like you said, you're not on TikTok, but on TikTok, there's like an, the algorithm works where things that you're interested in are things that will come up. Yeah. And she started seeing a lot more things about ADHD. Yeah. And then she was like, Do you think I do? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, 100%. And <laughs> with the girls, I was like, Yeah, 100%. And then she's like, It's going to be murder for you, isn't it, when they're older? And I was like, It's going to be expensive. And she's like, How? And I was like, Well, it's going to be hard to like run two, like, houses like there'll be the house for three weeks of the month and then there'll be the house i live in for one week in the month um so that that that'll be fun like at least it'll be clean uh, <laughs> it's like i'm just i'm, I'm yeah, yeah. this week so uh yep i will see you in seven to ten working days um <laughs> she's just like yeah no you're, you're just going to be locked into this house and this will be your punishment it's like, Jesus. but uh, it has been lovely speaking to you kathy uh yeah. i do enjoy it's fun just meeting different people and just talking like yep. I, I was about to say talking crap it isn't but it doesn't seem as serious as what the actual content is if you know what i mean indeed i absolutely understand and i've, I've just this second hyper focused on your pictures behind you and we should have been having a flipping marvel and comics and superheroes conversation rather than this <laughs> would have been loads better <laughs> It's like a thing where as soon as someone mentions anything about comics, I then have to like, just to, I basically, I, I need to basically undress is the, the way I can say it, because um, if you like comics, thanks. Oh, awesome. That is beautiful. That, that was pain, my friend. Totally that, was, that was pure, yeah. unadulterated pain. I'm sure it was. Well, I, I have four tattoos, so I, I understand the pain. None of them quite as big as that, though, to be fair. Like, there's, like, this arm as well. Oh, like, nice. Like, yeah. And that one's not so bad, but my leg was 16 hours. Oh, gosh. And yeah. eight hours on the Tuesday, eight hours the day after. Oh, and anything over your shin bone, that's going to be uncomfortable. It, yeah. it wasn't fun. It was the I, when I got it, I parked my car like a mile away. I was like, "This isn't far." The first day I limped there. The second day I got attacked, it was like, "Yeah, not no, not done. And then I had to drive for like forty minutes home, and that wasn't fun. But mm. uh, anyway, on the love fact of me undressing, thank you very much. Thank you. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Timo, the award-winning visual planning app that supports routines and time management. Timo was designed specifically to support executive function and empowers users to take control of their schedules. Head to your app store and type T-I-I-M-O into the search bar to learn more. Timo is available on Android, iOS and smartwatch.